mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. My name is Caroline and I should be so lucky to still be hosting this podcast. And padam padam, I feel her and I know it's Michelle Andrews. <laughs> I've listened to so many of these intros. I was like, what is she going to come up with for Kylie? And that was a 10 out of 10. I loved it. So you've chosen Kylie Minogue today. I have. What led us here? to this decision. Okay. So I think I want to do Kylie because I'm obviously Australian Mm -hmm. and I feel a certain way about Kylie as someone who was originally kind of hated or derided in Australia, but then got a stamp of approval from the UK Mm. and then has now become an Australian national treasure. Okay. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, I love Kylie Minogue in that I just think she was such, like, in her absolute peak, I think she still is this because, as you just referenced, Padam Padam just came Mm. out and she's still killing it. But she was such a quintessential pop star Mm. and there's something about her that I just love. Like, I love her energy. I love this because as a as an Australian person, you must have had just her just shoved in your gob from the mm. minute you could stand. And so definitely there's often a temptation when somebody is the hometown hero. Um, like, for example, I've heard from lots of German people that they hate Heidi Klum. Mm. And, and the kind of explanation for this is that Heidi Klum takes what people think about Germany and makes a living off of it and reflects back the stereotypes oh, of wow. what Germany is. And people and people in Germany, lots of it just really fucking don't like Heidi Klum. Yeah. And it, it would be very tempting for the same thing to happen with a Kylie Minogue. And mm. I think another example is like a James Corden. Here. Yes, yes, yes. Right. It's like he has taken a sort of a version of Britishness that people find cringe, but that the, some parts of the world find charming. It's commercial. It's commercial. Mm. And we, or not we, they sort of <laughs> hate it representing themselves. And it's kind of, it's a sort of a phenomenon verging on tallest poppy. But mm. a tallest poppy that has too many mirrors pointing backwards or something. Yes. You know? Okay. So the funny thing about Australia is I don't think that applies to us. Mm. We don't have the whole, oh, when they become big overseas, we suddenly don't like them. Mm. It's the opposite. Mm-hmm. So tall poppy syndrome in Australia is we really struggle with celebrities. And I mean, societally, I mean this. Mm-hmm. When someone is trying to make it overseas, mm. we don't like them. Like we, we find it really uncomfortable. We find it really cringe. Yeah. We don't like the people who are trying really hard necessarily, or at least they really cop it. When Kylie Minogue was trying to become famous internationally, Mm. trying to branch out, because she started on Neighbours, which I know was very big here, started on Neighbours and then tried to do the music thing. That was when she copped it. It's kind of like we don't we want people to be in their box in Australia. Yeah. We're like you d- you've got the neighbors thing. Just stay in that box. Why are you trying so hard to do this other thing? In the trying phase, we really struggle. 
in the success phase overseas, as soon as another country gives a celebrity a stamp of approval, we froth it. Like we love it. And I, I look at the moment, I mean, two of the biggest stars in the world would be Margot Robbie, mm-hmm. who Australians absolutely adore. We love the fact that she's big overseas. Jacob Elordi, that actor from Euphoria. Oh, I'm, right. Okay. He's that really attractive guy. He's in the new Elvis film that's being oh, right, out right. at the moment. He, We love the fact that he's become big in the US in particular. But also like the Hugh Jackmans of the world, a lot of the big Australian celebrities. Tony Collette, I feel as well. Yes, yes. When they were trying to make it big in Australia, we go through this period of discomfort mm. and we go through this period of like, Ugh, you're trying really hard and you're like mm. really trying to get eyeballs on your things that you're doing. And that's a bit not crass, it's a bit cringe. Yeah. But as soon as the US or the UK, the UK in particular, yeah. as soon as you guys point to someone and go, they're cool, well, that's a thing. We love it. Yeah, I, I, that's fascinating. I do find myself vibing with it in uh, as an Irish person as well. Mm. Because I think Ireland and Australia have a lot in common anyway. I mean, uh, literally a lot of shared DNA, mm. you know, from them prison ships. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the... Um, the sense that we are both small nations masquerading as large nations. Yeah. Because like, for Ireland's point of view, it's like we're very small population, very small island, but huge cultural footprint. Like lots of people getting lots of places very quickly. Yeah. And Australia, it's like huge landmass, relatively small population yes. per the landmass. And also a lot of people getting places. Australians love to go other places. Yes. And so the cultural footprint is huge, but actually the infrastructure, the country itself, the amount of people in any given place is fairly small. Yes, you know? absolutely. And there's something about Kylie there is such a sense of pride there yeah. as an Australian. Like there was this moment earlier this year at the Australian Grand Prix where she appeared. She was just in one of the marquees and went straight up to the DJ booth and they started playing a Kylie Minogue song and this yeah. video of her just dancing with these like overjoyed, drunk, excited yeah. Australians just went completely viral back home yeah. because it's – it's almost like, oh, Kylie's home. Kylie's home and she's she's with us again and she's done all these incredible things overseas. Yeah. There's just this like, I have an emotional attachment to her in that I feel so proud and excited by what she achieved. It's so funny. And I feel that way about Margot Robbie as well. I can totally understand that. And it's also, it's making me compare, because I, I think that we're, um, Ireland and Australia are the same in that we need another company, another company, we need another country to rubber stamp our people yeah. in order for us to see what's good about them. You know, yeah. like I don't think, for example, like if Damien Rice hadn't had a huge hit yeah. overseas, would we have given a shit? Because he's just like, like every other, like hundreds of thousands of like skinny boys with guitars in Ireland <laughs> trying to make folk music, you know? And, um, but then I, I compare it to something like, you know, a Sinead O'Connor or mm. a Dolores O'Riordan from the Cranberries who were both artists who were celebrated for their Irishness and then also sort of Sinead far more than Dolores, um, derided for stepping outside of their box and 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 accused of straying into political and social territory that wasn't theirs. Maybe Kylie and Margot are so loved by Australians partly because they are a little bit apolitical. They That's don't the both of them when I'm looking at their lives, I mean the main thing that Kylie has spoken to is cancer awareness. Obviously mm-hmm. she had her own health battle herself. Margot Robbie speaks a lot about platforming women in 
movies and female directors and stuff yeah. like that, that. But neither of those viewpoints challenge us at all. Yeah. And I think Sinead O'Connor is such an interesting one. I mean, holding up that photo of the Pope and yeah. child sexual abuse in the church, that's so challenging to so many people. Yeah. That yeah. it's yeah. almost like, oh, make it, but stay in your box again. Like make exactly. it, but just be joyful. You don't need to give us anything Shall- that's sticky. Yeah. And I think what Margot Robbie and Kylie Minogue probably have in common, apart from like having these soap star sort of early days or whatever is that they are consistently underestimated because they're so good at projecting the sort of jolly Australian bird Mm. with a nice smile kind of Mm. vibe and therefore never seem unsafe yeah you know they don't seem threatening yeah yeah even though the work they're doing and the legacy they're creating is unlike anything else. And they're so, I mean, Kylie Minogue, I think, copped it in Australia to really dive into the tall poppy stuff. Yeah. Whole radio stations said they would not play Kylie Minogue music. They declared themselves Kylie free zones. There were people selling I Hate Kylie t-shirts in the very early days of her, you know, releasing Locomotion and Mm. the earlier singles that she had. This hatred of her going into music ran so deep. But what I like about Kylie, I don't think she's like technically the best singer in the world. She's Mm. not like a classically trained vocalist, but she's a fucking good pop star. Yeah, she's not really the best at anything. She's not the best dancer. She's not the best singer. But she's just... She's got je ne sais quoi. Yeah, Yeah, she's got it. She's got X Factor. And I watch her perform. And I look at her music videos. I was watching them with my friend and one of my co-workers, Ree, last night. We were like, I knew I was doing this episode. I'm like, we have to put all our music videos on and relive the Kylie days that we remember from our childhoods. Her music video is a banger. Like, she's iconic. She's not necessarily the best musician in the world, but yeah. she knows how to be an icon. I was thinking this as well because I was watching all the videos yeah, last yeah, night yeah. as well. And the thing of like, I mean, we'll go back and we'll start from the early days in a minute, but um, the the sort of turn of the century return of Kylie, the gold hot pants and spinning around and all that, I think had so much to do with her emerging as a video artist. Mm. You know, all of those videos had something fucking iconic about them. Yeah. Whether it was the the gold hot pants or whatever. And even looking back at that time period of it being like, all I remember from that when I was 11 or whatever, um, was, can you believe this 35-year-old woman is wearing these clothes? Yes. She's insane to me now. Yeah. it. W- I remember back in Australia because I'm, I was born in 94 and Kylie's peak of her success was turn of, yeah, as you said, it was probably 2000 to 2004 maybe mm-hmm. I think was like the period of time where she had the most singles really hit and she really kind of exploded internationally. I... I remember it being a big conversation how old she was for the industry. Huge. And like, look, she still looks incredible in these like itsy yeah. bitsy outfits. Still. Yeah. Like, yeah. Every single 35 year old woman I know looks better than she did at 25. I agree. Because we have good clothes and makeup look now. Banging. Yeah. Everyone's got more disposable income and everyone's yeah. skin looks amazing because they're all using like bougie products. They're not just Because we're buying. all pharmacists now. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, 100%. But yeah, I remember her age being a big conversation. Yeah. And I I mean, I think I thought that when I was watching the Padam Padam music video last night, I was thinking, wow, she still looks incredible in her 50s. But yeah. It, it's it's mad. But I, I wanted to go back a, a little bit further because mm-hmm. um, 
I was I I was ne- never been a neighbours person, and last night I watched not one but three episodes. You of didn't? I did. What episodes? Um, her first ever appearance. Oh my god! Um, then a kind of a, a sort of a mid season one where she was a bit more glammed up, and then the wedding. <laughs> the wedding is like, isn't her character like seventeen years old? Or something? Yeah, <laughs> it is nuts. It is not, but I can also see why it was the phenomenon that it was, and that that sort of veil with the beads in it, and it, it was, was so eighties. So 80s, but so 80s. yeah, and it feels like it's come back around yet somehow. Yeah, like, she still looks gorgeous. But what's so interesting to me is um, the the question that's been on my head as I've been researching her, and when I research all sort of divas for this podcast, is yeah. can you have a multi decade decade spanning pop diva without the gay community? Oh, and I don't think you can. You can't. You can't. You can't. No, you're so right. I mean, I'm trying to think about the other multi-decade divas. Yeah, it's Madonna, it's Cher, it's yeah. um, Mariah Celine, Carey a little bit. Mariah. Yeah, yeah you can't. You those the infrastructure of the gay community is is quite. It sounds like a flippant thing of being like the gays lover kind of mm. thing, but it's actually if you really take it apart, it's you know we live within a media cycle that adores to you know build women up and tear them down and we all know this this is kind of feminism 101 but it's quite literally profitable to do that yeah because if someone gets just famous enough to still be under the thumb of a label and a management and to not really be developed as a human being enough to Mm. demand either creative or personal control Mm. if we can just basically ride those horses and put them away wet kind of thing (laughs) and then dismantle them when they're 25 and then put them out to to pasture when they're 30 we can go through more of them right and like it it, it benefits a lot of different industries in order for us to tear through these people as quickly as possible but because and this might be a bit tinfoil hatty but because both I think queer people naturally associate with underdogs and people and especially women who are being attacked because they are living within a community that's consistently attacked yeah It, it, it they sort of cause them emotionally speaking and they but also within the gay community it's it's a going out culture it's a club culture yeah. you know or, or not I'm not, not saying that the whole gay community is like this but there's but a strong culture there's a strong culture of going out and partying yeah. yeah 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 and then when the music aligns with that exactly uh-huh. and I think as well with Kylie, I mean, we talk so much about Taylor Swift and her doing these eras and kind of look mm. back, looking back at her career as having eras. Kylie was doing that back in the eighties, nineties, and noughties, right? Yeah. Like she had the her breakout into music was with quite naff music and locomotion, and she had that. I can't remember the name of it the top of my head, but that love song with Jason Donovan where oh, they were yeah, literally yeah. basically cosplaying Charlie and like and running Scott. down the beach to each other. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. they I I was watching episodes of Top of the Pops where they were going yeah. on as Scott and Charlene and kind of recreating that. That's where she began. And then she kind of she went through all these different iterations, classic pop, and then she had like a disco EDM vibe. Yeah. Then she went through this like sexy sex Kylie era but it was the gay community that stuck with her the entire way it was like she could experiment and they never left her it was the mainstream that left her but she always had this incredibly loyal legion of fans from the queer community that she basically only realized in a few years into her career yeah and which you know 
and that she t- she tells a story a lot of like suddenly you know she was at a very low ebb and appearing finding herself in a gay club that was having a Kylie night and she mm. didn't realize she was even big enough to have a night yeah, you know yeah, yeah. but it, and it's it's so fascinating because looking back at like her very first neighbors appearance mm. and I do think we talk about Kylie and neighbors but we don't really drill into the 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 significance of the role itself, I think. Yeah, right. Which is that her name is Charlene, but she's called Lenny, Mm. right? She appears in the sort of jean jacket and Baker boy hat. And it's funny because you, we think of Kylie Minogue as being this like absolute beautiful angel fairy person. She's like a pixie. A pixie, yeah. And, but you look her in that role and there's something kind of, um, there's like, obviously it's a tomboy sort of role or whatever. Something sort of androgynous about her. Mm. The character is played that. There's kind of a various things about her being, you know, mistaken for a boy and like the whole thing about Lenny and even yeah. her very first episode. And that she's this very outspoken character who's been sort of dragged from pillar to post from home to home. And is sort of always sort of mouthing off. and She's rough. She's rough and yeah. she says when things aren't fair. Yeah. And I could so see that like if you were, if you were lonely or, you know, misanthropic and very young and, and you would, the idea of putting on neighbours is a very safe, sort of very mm. warm bubble and seeing a character like that and how she would arrest you. And, how, and, and that's just, she is the reason Neighbours is what it is. Like she, there's something just so plucky and delightful about her and that really draws you in. And how if she then went on to be with Lucky and Locomotion, mm. the sort of like cheesy pop star that was built to last for a day. Mm. Like it was built to juice the moment for this Neighbours thing and then yes. to go away. yes. And how you would, like, follow that woman into hell. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes. There was something about Neighbours, though, where I, there was such a tie to the actors who played those characters. And I think because so many people were watching Neighbours when they're at that really tender, sensitive age. Yeah. The people you developed a connection with in the yeah. Neighbours days are the ones that you follow forever. I mean, I was... I was quite young. I wasn't even born, actually, when Kylie was on Neighbours, but I certainly feel that way with Margot's character. Margot Robbie played a character called Donna Friedman, who was yeah. a teenager when I was a teenager. Yeah. And I watched her and I I felt an affinity or a connection with so much of what she was going through. And I know it's like quite a humble beginning to start on Neighbours, but there is something about seeing them in that teenager-esque role yeah. when you are a teenager that makes you just latch on. Totally. Like I'm there. I'm on. I'm in for whatever Margot's then doing next. Yeah. Or Donna's doing next. She was Donna to me for so long before she was Margot Robbie. Right? Yeah. And like, and it's the same with like, Leonardo DiCaprio hasn't been hot in 15 years. <laughs> but we all. But it's like a duckling's yeah. coming out of the egg and seeing their mother. It's like, yeah. we'll follow you anywhere and we'll find you hot for some reason. You, you, <laughs> you like, yeah, it's like what you were when you were 25 or even younger than yeah. that. We will still see that in you. Yeah. And like also simultaneously and like I know that Kylie got a lot of hate mm. and the whole thing, as you as you said already, this thing of um, her radio stations being like, we the, the catchphrase was, we've improved Kylie's music. We're not playing it. Yes. Um, and similarly, like I'm at Sentimental Garbage is very much a sincerity podcast, but we all have to... Give credence to the hater that lives inside oh, of us. yes. I could see myself of that era being one of those people who thinks that's great. Like, uh, when I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I was 
I think back to myself at 21, even to when we started yeah. Shameless, when I was 23, mm. snarky. Yeah. Like I do have, and I still have that now. Like of course I have moments where I'm like, I roll yeah. if I don't yeah. particularly like something. And the music isn't my favourite. Like I don't love Kylie's original music. So yeah. I can kind of see how people felt that way. It's kind of like the benefit of hindsight. It's smug of me to look back now and be like, idiots. Yeah, exactly. Idiots hating her. Look at her now. Didn't they she know about Padam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Didn't they listen to Spinning Around and watch the music video? Like it is smug of me to look back knowing that she became this international hit and say, God, people were dumb to give her anything. Yeah. Because she, she needed time to find her feet. Yeah. It wasn't like the stuff in the early days wasn't flawless. Right? And like... I can so see as much uh, in as as easy as I can imagine myself as a as a misanthropic young person and possibly queer person, mm. you know, lighting on Charlene and being like, "You forever, <laughs> you are me forever." Um, I can equally imagine somebody who loves music and is living in a late eighties monoculture where the only access to music is if you buy it on a CD or a tape, mm. or use here on the radio, and yeah. and then suddenly. That bitch from the show, yes. That kids love, yes. Is, you turn, every time you turn the radio, there she is again. You'd be like, no, your thing is soaps, yes. and that there's, there wasn't a framework for going from a soap star to a pop star. And like, I could imagine myself at twenty in 1987 <laughs> being like, no, your thing is soaps. Get off yes. my music is supposed to be for me. <laughs> and I think celebrity culture and the way the media used to speak about celebrities was so snarky, and we gave tabloids and radio hosts and whatever a license to be snarky because it felt like celebrities were thrust in our faces and we didn't have a choice yes. as to who we could get, right? Yeah. So I look back at tabloid culture in the Britney Spears era, for yeah. example, and the Paris Hilton era, and the way we'd speak about women was so different. And I think that's partially because we were incredibly sexist back then mm-hmm. and still struggling with some of those issues, of course, now. But also because we didn't actually feel like we had much of a choice. The media chose who we saw all the time and it felt like we were being inundated with these people's faces, articles about them. Like we didn't have this online democracy where it's like you just pick what you want. Pick and follow who you want. And now people can't do that anymore and the media and columnists and whoever can't speak that way about female celebrities anymore because now the attitude is if you don't like them you can fucking avoid them that's fascinating isn't it yeah. oh my, i hadn't never thought about it from that point of view before but you're right we did feel like they were forced upon us yeah. and so it did create this level of vitriol where yeah and it's like if you put it, like something in front of someone's eyes enough times they're going to get annoyed by it irritated which, yeah. Why it, do we keep talking about this person? Yeah. Why, do I, why is so much of my space taken up by this person that yeah. I happen to not like? Which, like, of course, I could name a million celebrities right now that I happen to not gravitate towards. Yeah. But at least today, I pick the podcast I want to listen to that talks about the celebrities that I like. I follow the celebrity on social media. I'm not, like, getting all my information from newspapers and magazines and yeah. shit. Like, I'm picking it. It's so true. Like, and that's the thing. It's like we no longer have this monoculture. Mm. We can like I don't know what's in the charts, and that's not because Neither. I'm old now. It's because I can literally go my whole day, my whole I can go months at a time without ever hearing the radio. Yeah, no, same. <laughs> and like I sometimes I remember I looked at the Spotify charts f- for research for this episode. I was just curious 
how many listeners Kylie Minogue gets a month mm. compared to like the pop stars of today. And she's actually killing it. Killing um, it. She's getting like 15 million listeners a month, where Dua Lipa's doing like 70. But Dan has 64 million downloads. It's, in- it's been out for like two months. It's like- insane. But I was looking at the top charts and I didn't actually recognize some of the names in the top 10. And yeah. I'm, a, I'm supposed to be a pop culture expert. Yeah. So it's like, how many different cultures are there online? that actually we'd never cross over with, we never have any idea about because we're yeah. just sticking in our little <laughs> chamber. It's like, yeah, somewhere right now there's someone with 200 million followers who you've never heard yes. of who is about to sign the biggest deal of their life yes. for a footwear brand you'll never hear of. Yes. <laughs> it's mad. Ah, it's so crazy. And it's so different to the kind of fame that we grew up with mm. like that was forced on us. But I feel like we're getting away from Kylie, but like I, I do find this really fascinating. Yeah, but Kylie as well, like, she had to really hustle. And I mean, the whole music scene in that day was hustling to get your music on radio. And like, I remember when I was a small kid, I would find the Plain White Tees. I don't know if they were even a band here. Oh, yes. What was that thing again? They had this song that was played all the time. And I liked in the early days. Was that Hey There Delilah? It. Hey There Delilah. I remember. I remember hating that I song. I hated it by the end. Yeah. And that's how people must have felt about yeah. Kylie, as particularly in Australia, because mm. they, like, they would have been going so hard. That's how they must have felt about her yeah. early songs. And I... I Get it? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and and how and how you would just sort of like see this teeny tiny cutie with this stupid mm. song, <laughs> just like go away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but she didn't go away. <laughs> she didn't go away. She didn't go away. And thank God she didn't, because now everyone adores her. <laughs> yeah, because it is fascinating when like, as as I said, like this was a pop career that was not built to last. It was built mm. to capitalize on a moment in time mm. and then go away. And so for somebody to take that and run with it for decades at a time. Mm. And I, I think about when I look at like, you know, Cher's career of like that was so it was like it's kind of a novelty husband and wife act singing their corny little song, <laughs> you know, holding hands and swaying. Like that wasn't built to last either. And I just I find that so inspiring and refreshing when because I think, you know, there's this big conversation in music at the moment about plants and industry plants. Industry plants. Yes. Everyone's talking about industry plants. Yeah. I transparently have tried to research this and tried to get my head around it. I still don't really know what we're talking about when we're saying industry plant. We're just saying someone that someone in the industry plucked, like, wants to yeah. succeed and backs. Wants to succeed and backs, yeah. And I I think what that possibly comes from, to go back to our a thing of um, feeling like we don't have a choice mm. in our media, like... You could you call, for example, Phoebe Bridgers, who I love. Mm, it's the same. I adore Phoebe Bridgers. I, you know, Helen back for Phoebe Bridgers. Love those songs. Have cried several times. You know, whatever. But there was a time before I knew who Phoebe Bridgers was when Spotify wouldn't stop telling me who she was. Same. Twitter wouldn't the stop. The skeleton t- outfit. I kept seeing it everywhere, and Taylor Swift was talking about her, and I was like, "Who is this person?" I know, and I felt, and I remember feeling like it was being pushed, pushed on me. me, and I do think that like. There is there's something that happens if you I mean we're in the Spotify offices right now, so this is sacrosanct. <laughs> but I do get into these absolute fury sometimes when like a when Spotify keeps pushing an artist mm. on me. Like go away. Let yeah, me live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The algorithm's chasing me too hard. It's chasing me too hard. Yeah. And I think we feel so resentful of that. But the the I think that, that maybe the industry plan thing comes out of that. And also the emphasis on Nepo babies and people who are chosen, planted and grown and harvested to to succeed and to make money. And so when something feels like a silly little punt, a guy 
wasn't even really probably prepared to follow through on <laughs> even to make an album. <laughs> and then that woman is like, you know what? No. Yeah. I'm going to squeeze this lump of coal so hard it will turn to a diamond in my hands. <laughs> I would love to know. Like, I'd love to have a chat with Kylie one day where I find out just how hard she had to work in those early years. Yeah. Like, how, what kind of level of effort does it actually take to make it? I know she would have worked hard, of course, but I'd just love to know the practicalities of, like, how do you take yourself from, okay, I've had one or two singles really go well yeah. to, like, I'm going to become one of the biggest pop stars in the world. I just, I find that kind of work ethic so interesting because I wholeheartedly believe she'd be a really hard worker. Yeah. And I don't really have any, I mean, I've got her success as proof of that. I just look at her, I'm like, I feel like you would grind yeah. to make this happen. And I think I think a large part of it as well is that I was talking to my friend Ryan about this and he said, um, in many ways, she's kind Madonna. Yes. <laughs> like that is it. She's a Madonna that makes you feel safe. Yes. Yeah. She's, she's so sweet as well. Like I was watching an interview that she did with Graham Norton recently mm. and she... She's just like a comforting presence to have. It's yeah. like, oh, Kylie. Right? Kylie. And I was listening, and there's something about her as well, that even though she has, um, she's someone who, their private life is private, you know, and mm. she's not going to do a big confessional. And I think that's very um, like pop stars of her era. Mm. Be like, this is, here's my new single, what I'm prepared to talk about. And we recorded it in Milan and I had a great time. And here's my one act, don't I will tell you about this. And yeah. now I'm out kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but even so, when you listen to okay, Desert Island Dis with her, there's a sense, a very unrehearsed, unpractisedness to her. Yeah. There's a sense she's that she's... She's a slightly po- bit awkward, actually. She's a bit awkward. She's a, on yeah. Graham Norton in a really, in, like, it's kind of an endearing, sl- very slightly offbeat way. It's, she doesn't come across as super media trained. Yeah. Yeah. She's, like, thinking about what you said and how she's going to answer it. And even yes. though the answer won't be amazing, you can, there's something very charming in watching her be in the moment. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like... Something I thought about when when I when Ryan lighted on um, kind Madonna, I was like, yeah, because like I can like I feel like I slag off Madonna a lot in the signs on this show. I do like, you? I I don't know. I I just do think that there is a coldness to that empire that just feel, I don't really vibe with it so much. I love some of the songs, but uh, and I know she's a very inspiring artist and. But I just it doesn't get me, and I think probably because it does feel like there's a meanness to it, yeah, and an austerity to it, yeah. And I think I don't know. Again, this is me lever- leveraging a very Australian question at you. Yeah, is um maybe that has a lot to do with being Australian, and like this. So Madonna's like a New York artist, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very quintessentially New York artist. The best VIP room in New York is something you and I can never imagine. <laughs> but I think the best VIP room in Melbourne, you've, you've probably been in. <laughs> That's accessible to us. A hundred percent. It's accessible to us and it's something that we yeah. can kind of like, I don't know, it's more realistic somehow. It's yeah. something that we can understand and relate to. Yeah. Right? Madonna, I, I missed a little bit of it because I... I 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com feel like I've looked on as a 94 baby mm-hmm. and I I know that people are obsessed with her but truthfully the main the main conversation I've seen around Madonna is the conversation around she's too old to be wearing this or yeah. she's making unusual choices or she's like adopted lots of kids or whatever I yeah. feel like I miss the real glory days of Madonna that I know people in my life talk about when she was just killing it so I agree I probably don't I don't have this like super positive association with Madonna. Yeah. I, I only associate her with, I mean, I don't agree. Like wear whatever the fuck you want. I actually don't really care what yeah. you wear. But that's the only conversation. That's the main conversation I've mm. ever seen about Madonna. Which is, you know, a problem in itself, yeah. right? But yeah, it doesn't, yeah, yeah. Um, but, and then the thing with Kylie as well is because the comebacks always feel so strong and so emotional they're so meticulous and so meticulous because each one of them is legitimately hard won yes like for example she came out with a album in 2020 it was a country inspired dance album that I listened to on the way here it was called Gold it flopped it was so bad I loved it I didn't like it I really liked it I don't like country though I see. I really loved Lady Gaga's Joanne. That's okay. my favorite. Lady I don't Gaga like album. that either. Okay. So okay, I, okay. I like it when people put like a like an electro beat on a country yeah. song. I find that <laughs> fun. I like Cotton Eye Joe. You know, like. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. I I listened to that as well, and I was like, it's not her best. Yeah. But then she came back with, with what she's doing now. But the, but it seems like there are some there are artists who like, regardless. For example. Taylor Swift could be farting and coughing into a microphone and we would decipher it. On we would decide that that's actually what music is now. <laughs> exactly. Regardless of what she does. Yeah. Like, I remember the first time I listened to Midnight's, I was like, this is a completely mediocre work that I am obsessed with. And, and, like, <laughs> and now I think it's really great because I listen to it so many times. But like, there's kind of everything she does, I will convince myself is good. Yes. Taylor Swift in many ways is no longer living in a meritocracy yeah. within her own work. Yeah. Kylie still is because... Her stuff is still liable to flop. She's had as many flops as she has had hits. That is such a good point. I think that's why I look back at the spinning around era because I remember before that she had really, she had struggled. She had tried to do the dance EDM thing. It had really failed. No one understood it. It didn't perform well. And then when she did Sex Kylie, which like remember that white hooded outfit that she had in that music video? It wasn't for spinning around. It's for one of the other ones. Can't get you out of my head. I Mm. think it was. She had this gorgeous like white 
hooded dress but it was so revealing it was like really low cut down where like you could see her boobs essentially she was dancing around and it had these massive leg slits up the sides she just like she was so stunning and so sexy and just so like iconic in that music video same with spinning around in the gold hot pants it was a sensation back home sensation everyone was just like this woman is incredible and she's the music I was listening to it with Ray last night and I was like this is so banger this music is so fun and it hasn't dated at all we played which is it, the weirdest thing about it it hasn't dated at all and we played it at our wedding like Mitch and I put Kylie Minogue oh. we put a few songs on our wedding playlist that like the DJ played and every Kylie Minogue song that came on from that I think it was like the 2000 to 2003 in particular yeah everyone runs to the dance floor like it, it comes on and it's just like the first five seconds of every song is so yeah recognisable and it's just such good energy and like those songs are just so fun that it's crazy to me that they actually came out 23, 24 yeah. years ago. Because the thing is if you, for example, if we were at a night and like if we were on, on your wedding dance floor, for example, <laughs> and like um, another song of that era came up, like let's say like, the first one that comes into my head is Breathe by Blue Contralin. <laughs> and I still think that's a bop. Yeah, yeah. But it also, it reminds me of being 13. Yeah, It reminds me of being at the school disco. Yes. It, it's bringing that back. It sounds like the era it's from. Yep. If It's In Your Eyes comes on, I'm like, this is, you know, this is like, this is a, this is timeless. It, it, I don't really even associate it with being 12. It's just yeah. a bop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's, that's so true. A lot of songs from that era, I'll hear them. I'm like, I'm a teenager again, or I'm back in my bedroom, or yeah. like there's some kind of visual cue. But with, this music feels like it's grown with me. It feels really current still. Yeah. I, what is that? I don't know. Because I'm not, I'm not an expert in music, so I'd love to know what that actually is. But she's had an ability. I think the reason she's still got 16 million monthly listeners on Spotify. Yes, people are listening to her mu- Padam Padam, which is like incredible. But that's not just that song. Like no. People are listening to her back catalogue as well. And last night, Rhea and I were then humming her her songs for the rest of the night. Like we could not yeah. get them out of our head. And I, what's your favourite song of hers? Is it? Okay. So it's Red Blooded Woman. Yeah. Which I obsessed with. I didn't even, this is the funny thing about Red Blood Woman. I didn't realise that was a Kylie Minogue song. I think it was the fourth single <laughs> off the album that followed the the, the huge one. It was like one. 2004. Yeah, yeah. Red it was, it was kind of towards the end of the, the phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that she, particular was, era. she was still good, but like wasn't number one. Yeah, maybe. yeah. And, and and perhaps maybe there had just been so much of her because there was definitely saturation. the early noughties, there was a saturation point and I didn't identify with her during that period because it was yeah. like, I was a grouchy teenager <laughs> who was just annoyed like that the hot pan the ass woman it was yeah, like yeah, yeah. And like also those videos were just following her ass around and so she's much. so tiny as well and yeah. I think as well that's also like tricky when you're growing up and you're feeling shit about yourself or even I'm tall you're tall yeah this tiny pocket rocket woman who's mm. just incredible like I didn't always feel the way I feel about Kylie now no. I used to feel like oh this woman makes me feel bad about myself yeah um, she was a kind of an, an irritating background character which I guess is why I saw it I understand the people in the 80s who were like, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> Red-Blooded Woman, though. Red-Blooded Woman. such a good song. It's one of those songs that I, when I started going clubbing when I turned 18, mm-hmm. I'd hear all the time. I didn't even know it was by Kylie Minogue. Yeah. I just thought it was that clubbing song that I always heard. And then you, like, 
yeah, when I was going back through a back catalogue and I listened to it, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. It's like this um kind of interesting sort of staccato-y, almost <laughs> Spanish guitar-y, but with an electro vibe. Yeah. Like, count backwards, five, three, two, one. <laughs> Red blood in one month. So and, good. And to me, I feel like that, I think maybe I was 14, 15 at the point where that came out, but it was like looking for realizing you're going to have sex in the next couple of years. Like it's a pressing concern that you're going to be having sex. It's coming down the pipe, (laughs) literally. Um, (laughs) And I'm like, who do I want to occupy sexually? Who do I want to think of when I'm being sexual now? And I think Red-Blooded Woman really just was like, that's how I want to go about seduction. She's so good at sex though. She's so good at sex. She's so good at sex. Even like, I know I'm taking us all around in the timeline, apologies, but Padam Padam. Is such a sexual song. It's such a sexual song, and the music video. It's so horny. It's so horny, and she's in the music video like writhing around on a counter, and in a lounge chair, and all this other stuff. And she's just as sexual in that as she was back in the noughties. It kind of has. She has has a sort of Marilyn Monroe quality, where her lyrics and her delivery um, combine. So something feels very breathy and innocent but also mm. really explicit yes like that bit in Padam Padam that I'm always like ooh where she's like I want to see what's underneath that t-shirt yes. I'm like I'll show you <laughs> come here yeah she she nails it there's something I think as well it's like her hair <laughs> in so many of her music videos I look at it I'm like they've made her hair so iconic they've like yeah. her the way they've or she herself has presented there's something so uniquely Kylie about her and about her lips like they've always got this like bold lipstick on her she's often in um white gold or red and she's just Mm. I don't know there's something so sumptuous about her or like delicious about her brand it's also it's like because she's so she's had a couple of high-profile romances. Um, yes. Two of which you covered really well on your podcast, Shameless. You did a three-part series, which um, I, know, I realize we're having more of a vibes chat. If you want more of a documentary chat, your three-part series is feelings, amazing. Yeah. It's more feelings and thoughts, theories, <laughs> musings. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, Jason Donovan and Michael Hutchinson are sort of listed mm. as being her two kind of formative loves that we know about. Mm. Um, I know she has a partner now, right? But she, she she's does. Love. She's quite private about it now. She gave an interesting interview last year, I think it was, which is when we did the series, and kind of insinuated that they're in an open relationship. Yes. She says it's fluid. I'm never going to be the white picket fence yes. romance girl. You know, we're, it's it's here, it's there, it's up and it's down. You know? Yeah, she was kind of like, I'm not, I'm not the standard romance girl. I'm not going to, like, we kind of just go with the flow and we do things our way and it's different to other relationships. She but definitely it works used for me. the word fluid. Yes. And, like, we all know what fluid means. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But she yeah. has, I, my favourite tidbit is when she actually left Jason Donovan, which was like, you know, the blonde, lovely neighbour's boyfriend. Yeah. She left him for Michael Hutchins from yeah. In Excess. Uh-huh. And she had met, they had gone to an In Excess concert together and Michael had spotted her and her boyfriend, <laughs> Jason, <laughs> and had invited them to an after party mm. and apparently said, I want to fuck you. At the after party. And that's been reported. I mean, Kylie says, he said, I want, I don't know what I want more to take you to lunch or to have sex with you, which just feels like a diluted version. I think, I think her version was, what should we do first? <laughs> yeah. Which feels like more, has more of a consent narrative built yeah. into it. <laughs> 
Then it seems like she met up. So her and Jason were still together, but they were like doing their own thing. Jason was really, God bless him, trying to build a music career that never took off to the same level that Mm. Kylie's did. He goes Mm. to New York. Kylie's touring around Asia. She bumps into Michael and in excess again. It sounds like they they fall in love. They do their thing, and she ends up breaking up with my uh, breaking up with Jason over the phone. And Jason's quotes about it break my heart. Yeah, they're really bad. He said he like couldn't listen to in excess after that, and like and that like that <laughs> Michael Hutchins was his hero and everyone's yeah. hero. And like. That your hero steals your girlfriend. Yeah. But this also was perfect for Kylie's brand because it's like she went from that neighborhood sweetheart yeah. to this more edgy, sexy pop star dating the edgy rock star. I mean, yeah. Michael Hutchins was like bad boy, dirty, sexy, vibe. but also beautiful and soft. Oh, and, yeah. He, he did both. Like he had, yeah. he was just so. He was also so good at being an icon. He was so iconic that that relationship, people were just so invested in them. How long were they together in the end? Two years, I think. God, that's not that long. No, it was a couple of years. um, And it seemed like, I mean, Michael, it's well documented, had his own issues. Yeah. um, Yeah. Obviously, but that relationship, people just, yeah. When I was researching it for the three-part series that we did, I just lived for it. And what's that so chaos. What's so lovely, the chaos. What's so lovely is that um again it, it sort of feeds into the like she's kind of Madonna of like mm. when she talks about him, she's still so moved and gladdened by those memories. Mm. You can tell there's never been any regrets and she's always like, Yeah, he was wild and yeah, it was crazy, but like that's the age for wild and crazy yes. love, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how he taught her how to like have presence on stage. And and she's very like, Yeah, we had a wild time, yeah, there were drugs around, yeah, there was partying, but he was always looked after me, you know? Yeah. I find that very moving. <laughs> Same, because I think it's also again it's like we know that she probably was like a party girl and all that stuff, but the way she positions it, there's like such a beautiful, it's very healthy, soulful, tender, like yeah. a heart at the center of it. Yeah, and the way she does speak about Michael is so beautiful. Yeah, she has a, she's got a good knack for that actually. But even she's had other public relationships. She was engaged to a guy. I think his name is Joshua Sass for a little bit, and that engagement ended. I actually got a little annoyed. I did an interview with another podcast semi recently. And they were kind of, I know I keep taking this to other celebrities, but they yeah. were like, oh, when do you think Taylor Swift's going to settle down and like have kids? Like, what is she doing now that she's broken yeah. up with Joe Elwin or Alwyn? And I kind of brought in Kylie as an example there to be like, I hate this idea that people have to settle down or like we want these pop stars, despite seeing what icons they are and how incredible they can be. We still put this expectation of motherhood and like, yeah domestic life onto them still as a measure of success. I love that Kylie, I don't know if she ever wanted that for herself or if she didn't, she hasn't really discussed it that much. But I love that she's still just living her life at 55. She never did have kids. Yeah. But I I wonder as well if that's part of why the queer community loves her because she... She never did the whole like I'm I'm now becoming a mum thing. She stayed true to what she wanted and she she just like followed that to the end. Yeah, and I also think that like there's so much conversation in the culture about whenever there's like an incredibly successful woman who doesn't have you know either a husband or children or either or both um that 
there must be a hollowness or a sadness that she's at the missing out. Of it. She's craving this. And she yeah. must be sort of jealous and lonely. Yes. And God, how hard for her to be everyone's godmother kind of thing. We talk so much about what women miss out on by not choosing those paths and we don't talk enough and I think Kylie's a great example of this of everything you gain when you don't do yeah. those things like I think there's a reason that um, you know Kylie's work like she's consistent like she doesn't hit the nail on the head every time but very often she has been ahead of the curve in mm. terms of her music and what everyone both wants to listen to what is about to listen to next and will be listening to for a long long time it's yes. why those that spinning around era is so timeless and it's just so like perfect it's like biting down on a gold coin like yeah it's real kind yeah, of yeah, thing yeah, yeah, you yeah. know and it's and like also and Padam just feels so now and so but also ahead of the moment kind mm. of thing and so perfect and kind of camp but also slick and it feels like if you're if you're like not met, caught up in in the the nobility of domestic life mm. if you're not holding the hands of two children you actually can like put both hands on the floor and listen you know kind yes. of thing I feel like she's in the clubs she's talking to people she's meeting people she's having experiences she's being exposed to different kinds of music that is like feeding into this incredibly unique musical identity that continues to just wow people yeah it's not like you can't be relevant for 35 years by accident yeah she has had like so much savviness is baked into that and I mean, I say all this as a woman who I really want children. I really want that for myself. Yeah. But there's something I just love about seeing a woman who doesn't walk that path really kill it. Yeah. And I, I just feel like I don't know if she ever wanted that for herself or whatever. I don't want to project onto her. There's every chance she didn't want that and she wanted to be the world's best pop star or be Australia's best pop star rather. Yeah. That I just appreciate. I appreciate. And I think it's relevant to the Taylor Swift conversation at the moment. Yeah. Because I'm so sick of people going, Taylor Swift is 34, I think. Yeah. Remember she's that 34, tweet that was, like, that was like, a happy 30th birthday to Taylor Swift. Most of her eggs are gone by now. Oh. <laughs> I was like, wow, most of my eggs are gone by now. I have to think about that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think Kylie, her romantic relationships, I've enjoyed tracking that because I, I see her as... Maybe maybe it's not true, but at least I see it as like a very joyful presence, a very joyful yeah. kind of life that she's created, joyful music, fun. Yeah. And I just, I adore that. I, I feel like when you have, maybe, I, this is very much my projection of what it's like to live as a very famous woman, but, you know, if you're a very famous woman with uh, three children, let's say, mm. and a husband and two ex-husbands, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> there's a sense of like, there's more you have to protect. There's more walls that have to be built around you. There's a sense from Kylie when she's talking that Kylie's in the world with us. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, wait, and maybe this is just a very clever interview style, but I was very moved when she was talking about... Um, her cancer journey and about how when she had to cancel that tour and she she was like, well, you have to, if you're going to cancel a whole tour, you have to have a pretty good reason. And I, I said, I might as well go public about the fact that I had cancer. And she mm -hmm. talks about how she was in a cafe and she was talking to the people behind the counter and they were like, oh, love your music. And she was whatever. And then how she left the cafe and started crying because she knew the announcement about her cancer was going out in a day. Mm -hmm. And she was like, tomorrow they're going to hear about my news and they're going to talk think about talking to me today yeah there's some, there was something so not made up about that story mm. it felt so real like mm. and she talked a lot about I don't know just being like a lot of her anecdotes just feel very in the world mm. it, and I know that sounds mad but like <laughs> I'm with you yeah
I agree with you. I think she is one of us yeah. down. But if she isn't, then there's some incredible brand building and PR position yeah. going on to give her that. Yeah. It, it, it just feels very well timed doing this podcast in general because, um, as you know, I'm going to Australia soon and, try, mm. and trying to learn lots about it <laughs> and the Australian sensibility. And um, <laughs> I know I've probably dropped a few clangers in this episode alone. Um, but uh, also that she's having this huge ascendancy right now. Yeah. It is like the fact that like it can be 2023 and still we can have a summer of Kylie. It's like a renaissance almost. Yeah. Yeah. But that we get to have multiple renaissances. Yeah. And it always feels unexpected because her presence is so unassuming. Yeah. Is she still big here? Like, is she still a thing oh, that you yeah. guys talk about? And oh, that yeah. is Padam Padam played in like the retail stores. Well, here's and stuff? the thing. I think Padam has been a huge Spotify hit. It's been a huge club hit. Okay. But I've been reading some stories that, and obviously, as we've already spoken about, we don't listen to the radio. <laughs> it's not getting radio play. Really? Not not proportionate to the amount of listens it's having on Spotify and in clubs and everywhere else, you know? Who listens to radio anymore? I don't know. Yeah. I. Me in a rental car once a year. You in a rental car. I I cannot. I think the only time I hear radio is when I'm in an Uber and the Uber driver is listening to radio. Yeah. So I'm and just like all, there yeah. for the ride and it's like Gold FM or something. And it's always like talk radio or it's magic. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah time yeah. after time or something. Yeah. Um, oh, I'd like to finish on a, a quote from Kylie <gasps> that uh, I found so endearing. And uh, somebody asked her, I think this was quite some time ago, um, you know, why do you think you've never really made it in America kind of mm. thing? As, which I think is a silly question anyway, <laughs> both because I think she has. And also, why ask someone that? I think Padam Padam went, um, I think that was her first big, like, maybe first number one in America or what? something like that. Yeah. Nuts. Yeah. Because I remember reading that in Australia being like, so proud. <laughs> And to um to explain this next part, I'm going to ask you permission if I can do an Australian accent. Please, I would love. I okay, demand see, you do I, an Australian accent. I love accent. when people do Irish accents. To me, I think it's really funny. I would try, but I simply cannot. I would embarrass myself so badly. But I have already heard you do an Australian accent <laughs> during our time together, and I think you are very talented. So please. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now there's so much pressure on it. Yeah. No. I've so so they were like, "Why don't you think you ever made a big in America?" And this American journalist like, she's like, "Well." <laughs> Because to make it big in America, you have to tour in America. And America's horrible. <laughs> it is. <laughs> like, yeah. Kylie doesn't want to go to Milwaukee. Oh <laughs> Kylie's not going to Tennessee. She's not going to Idaho. No. Oh, my God. I love that. I think it's really good. Kylie, one of us. One of us. But also, it's so hard to find. Like, I, I kept typing into YouTube, like, Kylie Minogue, shady moments or whatever. There's so few. She wouldn't be bitchy, I don't think. No. I think Kylie would be hard to have a gossip with. That's the one thing. I think it'd be very frustrating. I think Kylie is so friendly and nice that she's one of those people who says, oh, like, she yeah. would say... Big minds don't discuss people. Like, <laughs> like, let's discuss events or experiences or something. Yeah, I think she would like she would like pivot the conversation in a way that made you feel so small. She'd she, be like, "So, what are you excited about lately?" Yes, <laughs> she would. She would. She would move away, and I'd be like, "God damn, I'm such a gossipy little bitch." <laughs> Why do I love discussing other people so much? <laughs> um, what do we think of Danny? Danny, I've met Danny. Wow. Yeah, I did a um randomly. We did a. A, like, TV commercial back in Australia. Wow. Um, 
And she was getting, we had, Zara and I, my co-host, had gotten our makeup done and she was in the makeup chair after us and she was a delight. She was amazing. She was so bubbly and friendly and she was a pocket rocket just like Kylie. And she was talking to us a lot about music in the 80s. We were just such like a random, random meeting. But I loved her. And again, I think Australia's really like into her as well, proud of her. I think it would Good. be hard. I think it would be hard being known as your predominantly. I think Danny is known at least yeah. to our gen as Kylie's sister. Yeah, I think that would be tricky. But she definitely is the Ashley Simpson. Yeah, yeah, she is. She is. But I mean, she seems to be loving it as well. She seems to be like totally happy in that position anyway. So I just love the like two tiny sisters, <laughs> yeah, bundles of energy all the time. Two like, and it's interesting because. I think they both are, they're very close and the family, I think, is very close. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I just listened to a um, Billie Eilish interview and she's like so unbelievably grounded for all the insane things that have happened to her. And it seems to be that like the 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 ingredient for not going insane as a child star is to have, be obsessed with your family. Yeah. Because you're not looking for validation anywhere else. You're just like, I love my sister and I love my mom. Yeah. <laughs> and normal parents. I mean, Kylie and Denny grew up like, a 20-minute drive away from where I grew up. They grew up in Bayswater, Queensland. Well, not Bayswater, sorry, Bayside, Queensland. Sorry, Bay. they grew up in, they grew up in Bayside, Victoria. And they do seem to have quite a normal upbringing. And I agree with you. I saw that Billie Eilish documentary. Yeah. And I think if you don't have parents that are semi-normal and yeah. so many celebrities don't, so many celebrities have wild, crazy parents. Yeah. You are... I, I, you're kind of doomed if you don't have that upbringing. It seems like they had a super normal family. Yeah. And I think that like, I think it's so common that, you know, parents have, maybe don't even think they're obsessed with show business. And they're like, they have a kid who's like fairly gifted and talented and wants to try a thing. And who are you to deny them? And then you're immediately forced to think of your child as an avatar. And like, if if they're loved, then I'm loved. And you don't understand how they're being exploited. And yeah, so it's... Basically, you need to have parents who have good self-esteem. You do. You have to have parents who don't project everything onto you and don't feel like, yeah, I I think that's such a big part of it. It's the parents who also have their own incomes, I feel. Yeah. If the parents are relying on their child to bring in money, which I don't know if you read Jeanette McCurdy's memoir. She was a child actress and she was keeping the family, like keeping a roof over the family's head. If you have a stable income and a sense of self as a parent, your child star will probably end up growing up to be A-OK and not having a breakdown. But if the opposite is true, fuck, I don't know how child celebrities or child stars make it. And it's like, remember there, this is a tangent, but remember when there was all this, um, there's occasionally a lot of um, backlash. For example, Daniel Radcliffe had parents in the industry and Mm -hmm. Judd Apatow casting his daughters and it being like, oh, this is so nepotistic. But actually, the further, the more I look at these sort of real train wreck tragedies of all these people who've been chewed up and spat out, it's like, you need to have parents who understand the business, who are nearby and who Mm -hmm. understand contracts and like, and also, like, for example, in Judd Apatow's point of view, it's like making your kid say a line over and over again is kind of fine because you know them. Yes. But somebody else making your kid say something over and over again is weird. Yeah. Like, making your four-year-old do, make a four-year-old do stuff professionally is, is weird. Odd. Yeah. It's objectively weird. And if also, like, say Maud Apatow wanted to become famous, wanted to follow or, like, be in the industry, 
you don't want to deny that as a parent. If that's someone's yeah. dream, isn't the best way to kind of like be hovering above to make sure everything's yeah. sweet? Yeah. Yeah. The nepotism conversations, an evolving one. I think I used to automatically just dislike nepo babies, but now I, now I see kind of shades of grey with it. I, I do. Think. Yeah. I think I love the self-aware nepo babies. They're my favourite. Which one? <sighs> Look. <laughs> okay. All right. Controversially, well, I, I mean, she hasn't always been super super self aware, and I know that she it, it's different because it's not like she's gone into acting or singing. She's gone into business. But I am a big Hayley Bieber fan, big yeah. Hayley Bieber fan, and I know the Baldwin family is an interesting one. But I don't know. It's something about it that I just like. I think because she's the underdog, and everyone has really mm-hmm. gone against her, and she's copped it for she's so long. She's not even the kid of a main Baldwin. She was the daughter of Stephen. Yeah, I don't on. even know why Stephen's famous, really. Yeah, but everyone calls her the like ultimate nepo baby. It's interesting with the with the nepo baby conversation. Maybe we need a whole other episode. <laughs> um, because it's like my friend Sophie Wilkinson um, likes to say this thing. I think nepo babies are good for the beauty standards. Haley Bieber. <laughs> Obviously, it doesn't count, but there are a lot of weird-looking Nepo babies, and it's like, yeah. we need weird-looking people yeah. to be famous. We need more. <laughs> Give us more. But it's like, some people, it's like the, the Kim Kardashian thing. It's like, did she was she born into wealth and privilege and with an early start? Yes. Has she made so much more of that opportunity yeah. than any other person? Like, a very small opportunity in the grand scheme of what fame is. Yes. You know, like, yeah, that's, you, gotta, you gotta give you credit for that. You know? Yeah, like, not if everyone could do it, everyone would. And everyone doesn't, because a lot of people can't. Because they can't. Because they can't. And so, yeah, I, I do have a soft spot for Haley Baldwin slash Haley Bieber, just maybe because everyone came for her for so long, and I was like, no, this girl needs someone to stick up for her. So I'm glad it's you. Little me in Melbourne will be <laughs> waving my Haley Bieber flag, sticking up for her. I think she's actually doing quite fine, but yeah. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad we did this episode on Hayley Bieber. What a note to end on. So, in summation, all right. Let's just let's just like finish on our just like just pop out our favorite Kylie songs oh, that we haven't talked about yet. I think I'm all the basic bitch ones. I am all yeah. the basic bitch ones because those are the ones that were fed to me as a child, and they have stuck with me. It was can't get you out of my head that we played at our yeah. wedding that oh. everyone ran onto the dance floor for. And I think that will be the song for me that every time I hear it come on, I go, fuck, I love Kylie. Yeah. One I've become obsessed with recently is um, Your Disco Needs You. You You just keep coming up with these niche songs. What is this about you? I don't know. Um, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, Red-Blooded Woman, now that I know it's a Kylie Minogue song, I love that as well. But you have some niche. So at my Hindu, we did karaoke and my friend Ryan and Sarah Griffin did a duet of Your Disco Needs You, which is (laughs) the Eurovision winner that never was. It is a nuts song. It's just like, and it's it's, it's like, it's peak... Camp Kylie of like oh I God. I am I'm the queen of the gay club kind of thing, and uh, famously it was supposed to be a single, but never got released because oh. the label thought it was too gay. <gasps> yeah, criminal, criminal. And now you love it. I love you it. and how many others? Like no, <laughs> is it just you and the me you and, and a niche? And, no, it's it's like a real. It's like a. I was on I was on the YouTube for it last night. It's like the <sighs> real the real stands no. So it's actually very cool of me to be into You Just Go Needs You. I've exposed myself as a non-stan. I'm here as a mainstream Kylie Minogue stan, doing it for the regular folk. She is the mainstream. She is. She is. She's everything about the mainstream and I will basic bitch my way through my love for her forever. And thank you for sharing that with us today. (laughs) 
Thank you. Shout out to Kylie. Shout out to Hayley Bieber. <laughs> Kylie, if you're listening, keep on trucking. Ba-dam, ba-dam. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com